0: We're in dangerous times. Somebody was talking to me the other day and said, they didn't say it in these words, the terror of the situation. They were just realizing just how horrible our situation is. They got it. You know, it's like, oh my God, this whole planet, everything that's happening, this whole Rubik's Cube that we're stuck in. It's the terror of the situation. And it's only when you begin to see the terror of the situation that you start to value the passport out of here and until then it's just and it's just some interesting stuff and blah 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 but when you start to actually see that this is going to kill you and that you're gonna die like a dog, you're gonna die with no awareness you're gonna die with no hope of anything, you're just gonna die like a dog an ignorant animal, a beast, that's the truth about us the truth about human nature is we are beasts we are like animals and that is why we do the things that we do beasts slaughter each other we have taken it to new heights. Now we can slaughter each other from thousands of miles away with weapons of mass destruction. Wow, that's really great. So that's a higher animal. But it's the same effect. The only difference is now we kill things and we don't eat them. At least the animals, the so-called lower animals, when they kill something, they eat it. But for us, we kill it just to kill it or to get its stuff. So in a sense, we're not killing it for food. We're killing it because we're crazy. We're locked in some kind of weird insanity. And it's just what we do. So, But that's the truth about us. The truth about us is that at our level, where we as a race, where we as a society exist as a rule, is in this beast nature. And this work offers us a way out of that. This work offers us a way to overcome that, to learn how to control that, to learn how to rise above that, to learn how to evolve beyond that to something that we could be, which is an entirely different thing. We were born into this beastly realm with these animal bodies. But we can evolve in a way that will give us an opportunity to subjugate, as it were the animal instincts, the DNA instincts that are in our cells, in our molecules from millions and millions and millions of years of evolution, physical evolution. But we have another evolution that is possible to us, and that is this esoteric evolution, this internal evolution is an evolution of consciousness and a transformation of being that is possible to us that is not possible to the other animals to the other forms of life that covers this planet the organic film that covers this planet that coats this planet we are a part of that in our physical bodies. We are a part of that as long as the false personality, the part of us that is connected to all that runs us, as long as it dictates what we do and what we don't do, as long as we are reactionary beings, as long as we react to what is going on on this planet, like the rest of the organic film that coats the planet is doing. As long as that happens, we're just serving life's purpose. But there is a way to be in that, but not be controlled by that. And that is what this work is about. And the reason I say the terror of the situation is because one of the things we don't realize is we see books about the fourth way and schools, esoteric schools. We see all this stuff and we hear things and we read things and we hear people talk about things. And there are a lot of things that come into vogue, that become popular in society that look like good signs. And in one sense they are and in another sense they are not. Like for example, you'll hear people talk about aha moments Oh, I had this realization, they call a realization, a spiritual realization, or a higher realization, an aha moment. You see the book, The Secret, and the film, um, What the Bleep Do We Know? Wow, that's really great. People are really becoming aware, and people are changing, and blah, 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 blah. And then nothing happens. Nobody's changing. The world isn't any different. And it's because it doesn't happen that way. It's because it happens individually. It's an individual process, and unless you begin to transform your being, unless you begin to raise your consciousness, all of that is just nonsense. It's all false hope. It's not true. The scary thing is, is when you hear it on Oprah and Dr. Phil, esotericism has fallen on hard times. And you're hearing some of the more popular points of it on Oprah and Dr. Phil. And, of course, they're using it in a way that, well, they're using it in a way that, that in in one sense, makes it available to people, and in another sense, cheapens it. And how it cheapens it is, it's like the inoculation that I was talking about you get inoculated with it and you won't catch the whole disease of esotericism. You won't catch the whole disease of transformation. You'll just get a little bit of it and that's enough to make you immune to it. How do we become immune to it? Very simple. We think we have it. We hear it. We hear it on Oprah. We hear it on Dr. Phil. We read about it here. We heard about it there. It's on television. It's in the news. It's in the movies. So now we think we have it. Now we think we understand it. Now we think we're there. Oh yes, that's that's yes. Oh yes, I'm being in the present moment a while after people read the book A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle everybody was in the present moment and now they've forgotten to be in the present moment now that that's months old or a year old or however old it is now it's not in vogue anymore but it was on Oprah and then he was having all of these interviews and oh the whole world was oh we're all going to ascend it's all so wonderful and here we are back in the crap again and the reason we are is because it's not real And that's the terror of the situation. When it becomes popular, we need to recognize it's not real. If there were 500 or 1,000 people or 10,000 people interested in this and listening to this right now this morning, we would be in trouble. What I would tell you to do is run screaming from this place like your hair was on fire if there were that many people here. Because I couldn't be saying anything that was worthwhile. There wouldn't be anything that I could be saying to that many people that they would tolerate. There couldn't be any truth worth hearing that they would tolerate. It just wouldn't happen there'd be a riot i look i know because one time i walked into a room in redondo beach and it was packed with people i cleared that room except for about 12 people with two sentences And it's like, okay, now we can get down to work. Get rid of all those people who are just here for whatever they're here for. Because it has nothing to do with anything that we're here for. And once you do that, okay, now we can get down to business. Otherwise, you're going to have all these stupid questions. How do I get my cat out of the tree? I've been praying and praying, but you said that prayer is request and response, and I'm not getting any response. Sure you are. Your response is no. That's the response you're getting. You could waste so much time with that because they're not sincere. They're not genuine. They're just looking for a way to have what they want in the world, A influences. So when C influences become B influences, that's bad but it's got to happen. When c influences become B-influences and B-influences then become A-influences, when people start to make money from this, when people start to popularize this for their own self-interest, when that happens, it's A-influence. And when it's A-influence, it's pretty much worthless at that point. Although it still could lead someone who was sincerely seeking to be influenced, which could lead him to C-influence. So it's all right. I'm not criticizing it and saying it's wrong. What I'm criticizing is... The fact that we fall into this idea that, oh, it's all going to be fine now. No, it's not. It's not all going to be fine now. There isn't anything out there that's going to change that's going to make it fine for you. The only thing that's going to make it fine for you is if you develop yourself. That is the only thing that will work. You must do the work. You must make the effort to pretend that somehow we're going to be lifted up because all of these people read Eckhart Tolle's book and now all of these people are present. To to pretend that we're going to become present, we're going to be here in the now, we're going to be aware in this moment because all these other people are, is absurd. It may make it easier, but it doesn't do it for you. Just like it's easier to float in salt water than it is to float in the air. Any of you, just try, get off your chair, just float off your chair right now. You see, you're you're not very good at that, are you? you can't do it. Well, even if you sit in the lotus position, now try and float. You see, it's still not working. You're not doing, but you can sit in water and you can float. And if it's salt water, it's pretty easy. And the more salt in the water, like the Dead Sea, the more stuff in the water, the easier it is to float. As a matter of fact, the more difficult it gets to go under the water. You can't stay down. And people who dive in salt water know that you actually have to have weights on in order to hold you down when you're diving. When the way of the Tao is forgotten, Kindness and ethics need to be taught. Men learn to pretend to be wise and good. It is better merely to live one's life realizing one's potential rather than wishing for sanctification. That's from Book 1 and it's excerpt from Chapter 18 and then Chapter 19 in Book 1 of the Tao Te Ching. When the way of the Tao is forgotten, what is the way of the Tao? The way of the Tao is the way of esotericism. It's the way of life. It's the way of the principle and it's none of that and it's all of that and it's more than that, but it can't be enunciated. It can't be said what it is. But when it's forgotten, kindness and ethics need to be taught. Men learn to pretend to be wise and good. If you look around, you will notice that that is really what's happening on Oprah and Dr. Phil. Men are pretending. They're learning how to pretend to be wise and good. But the world is still the same and their lives are still the same. The only thing that's changed is now they know how to pretend. And that's really not that good a change. As a matter of fact, that's where the terror of the situation comes in. It's like, oh, goody, now we can pretend to be something that we need to be. Wonderful. So they're being taught how to be more pretentious because you're not going to tolerate being taught how to be less pretentious. You're not going to tolerate having someone strip you in public. It's just not a pleasant experience to our self-love. It's humiliating and we don't like it and we tend to want to kill people who do that. So they're not very popular people and a lot of them end up dead, killed. Because of that, perception is the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through the senses. It's the state of being or process of becoming aware of something in such a way a way of regarding, understanding, or interpreting something, a mental impression, intuitive understanding, and insight. All this, the whole thing about perception, to perceive comes from the Latin percipere, which means to seize, to understand, which comes from per, entirely, and capere, take. So to take entirely, to seize, to take entirely. What we're talking about here is a kind of seeing. Now, in the work, we separate seeing from perception in language so that we can see the difference between an outer seeing perception, and an inner seeing. In the dictionary, they don't make such distinctions. They say for perception, intuitive understanding and insight. And that would be more at seeing, according to the work. If you've been around esotericism for a while, you've heard something for the first time which had been said many times. You ever heard something for the first time that you know you've been hearing for years, but you heard it for the first time, it's like, oh my, and it has this impact it's like someone dropped a five-pound bag of flour on your chest. Boom! It's like, oh, I, I got it. And, you, and it's there, and it's tangible, and it's palpable, and you're holding it like a five-pound bag of flour, although it's not a five-pound bag of flour, and it's not physical in that sense, but it is material. It is real. It has substance. It has weight. It has form, yet it's not the kind of substance, weight, and form that can be explained in outer terms but you know the experience. Well, people call that an aha moment. And the thing is, is is everybody, oh, yes, well, I had an aha moment. Now somebody finds their keys, they call it an aha moment. You know, if somebody finds a pair of shoes, they've been looking at a parking place. You know, oh, I have an aha moment. Oh, look, I'm creating my universe. Oh, look, it's just the way I want it to be. All of that is a bastardization of esotericism. The popularization of esotericism is a bastardization of it And what it does is it pulls its teeth. And the reason it pulls its teeth is because we want its teeth pulled. We want esotericism's teeth pulled because esotericism will bite. But the problem esotericism is it bites you. And the you that I'm talking about is the you that does not wish to be bitten, the false personality, the outer man, the you that, the imaginary I, that you, that's full of self love and self aggrandizement and self feelings and self justification and self valuation and self appreciation and blah, blah, blah. Esotericism will take a bite out of that, I'll guarantee you. Actually, I guess I don't have to guarantee you you've felt the bite. And that's probably why you're still here, because you felt the bite more than once. You feel the bite once, you want to get up and run. But if you don't get up and run, You'll feel the bite again and if you do feel the bite again you know what it is and you know what it's for and you'll stay sometimes people will not sometimes people will go, that's enough and they leave but if you feel the bite a few times and you start to see that it is removing pieces of what you don't want your false personality that it is making pieces of your false personality passive you become committed now there are degrees of commitment levels of commitment obviously the more you get bitten the more committed you become, or the further you run, whichever, it's fine by me. Why is it we can't hear something said the first time? It's because our level of understanding depends on our level of being. We can't hear something when it's said for the first time because our level of understanding will not support it. We just cannot understand it. So what happens when we can't understand something? Well, it falls right on false personality, and false personality imagines that it understands it. And once we've imagined that we've understood something, there's no sense in trying to look any deeper, because now we imagine we understand it. But then what happens slowly as, you, as you're in this work and as you do the exercises and you work on yourself and you fill your mind with the ideas and you, you make efforts against negative emotions and identification and sleep as you progress in this in your own personal individual work as you do this individually your level of being starts to change starts to expand starts to be raised and then without knowing it what comes along with that is is understanding then something that has been said 20 30 40 a thousand times before that you knew all about that you understood that oh yeah yeah sure we're many that's right we're we're not one we're many but then one day you hear it You really hear it with your understanding and you know what it means in a new way. Not completely, but you know what it means in a new way. And that's the aha moment. That's the five pound bag of flour being dropped on your chest, bump. And all of a sudden, it almost can take the wind out of you. It really can take the wind out of you. It's like, you realize what you are and the terror of the situation. You realize what you're up against. And it's like, it leaves you speechless. There are the other kinds of the aha moments. Oh, when you're all blabby about it. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm t- those, those, are, those are the Oprah and Dr. Phil aha moments. It's, it's not, I'm not interested in those. Although you can be. It's all right with me. The ratio between level of being and level of knowledge determines our level of understanding. You know, this is a bunch of intellectual stuff. But it's the kind of intellectual stuff that the false personality needs. It's the kind of fodder that it needs. It keeps its attention on that, and then you can sneak past it and get to something real, something important, something emotional, something that has the power to transform your being. And the ratio between level of being and level of knowledge, determining your understanding, is a formula. And a formula is a wonderful thing. If you know a lot of formulas, you can really be a a teacher. You could be a professor. You know a lot of formulas. You don't have to know how to work them. All you have to do is know how to spew them. If you can spew them, you can be a teacher. If you can work them, you can be a student. And we're here to be students. I'm a student. I share with you what I'm learning because that's what students should do with one another. They should have study groups, and they should share, and they should use one person's strengths to bolster their weaknesses and they should all be looking for ways to bring their own level of study up and that's what a work group is, that's what this group is for. It's for us to get together and to basically grind, knock off the rough edges, to learn how to get along with one another, how to tolerate the unpleasant manifestations of other beings and how to tolerate other people's intolerance of our own unpleasant manifestations. (laughs) Yes, we have unpleasant manifestations, too. It's not just them. And other people have to tolerate us. And we have to learn to tolerate that. I mean, Some people want to remove themselves from a group because they're too intolerable for other people. Well, that's a lie, of course. The real reason they really want to remove themselves from the group is because they find it intolerable, that other people find them intolerable. (laughs) And it's like, well, so what? I find myself intolerable. If you don't find me intolerable, there's something wrong with you. Or maybe there's something right with you. Maybe you have learned not to identify, which is great. Teach that to me. <laughs> I'm ready. Of course, I'm not ready. But I say we all say we're ready, but we're not ready because we'd have to let go of something. What we have to let go of? Well, some precious thing that we're identified with that we don't want to let go. Well, I'll be ready when I'm ready. That's a much better way to put it. I'll be ready when I'm ready. I'll be ready to let go of that when I've had enough. And now we're coming into a more real understanding of what this work is really about. You're not going anywhere in this work until you're ready. And you won't be ready until you've had enough. And you won't have enough until you've suffered enough. And you won't suffer enough until you've suffered enough. Until you've said, okay, that's enough. That's enough of that. It's just not worth it anymore. Then you'll be willing to sacrifice your suffering and be willing to give it up and stop suffering. It's just the thought of that is so absurd. It's so it's like, what, I, of course I want to give it. You people out there in the world, hear, oh yes, of course I want to give up my suffering. Right, and then try and take it from them. Get away from that, it's my precious. It just doesn't work the way we say that it is. We lie, we're liars. To perceive the meaning of what is said depends on our level of understanding. We can't perceive, hear, beyond our level of understanding. It's very simple. We simply cannot hear beyond our level of understanding. And that's it. It's it's just like I cannot hear beyond my range of hearing. But every dog in the neighborhood can. Well, why is that? Well, because they have a different range of hearing. That's why that is. Well, does that mean they have a different level of being? Yes, it does. It means they have a different level of being. And does that mean they have a different understanding? Yes, it does. They have a different understanding. Dogs understand things that I don't understand. And I understand things that dogs don't understand. Just that simple. But which is better? Well, it depends. If you're a dog with human understanding, you're in trouble. If you're a human with dog's understanding, well, you're just one of us. <laughs> you're, one of the, you're just one of the, you're part of the organic film of life on this planet. You're at the effect of life and you're just a dog. When we're asleep, we can't hear. When we begin to hear better, it's a sign that we're awakening from sleep. All this is very simple, but it's all intellectual. And none of it is like being hit with that five-pound bag of flour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, heard that all before. But I keep repeating it because one day you're going to hear it. And when you do, it's going to hit you like a five-pound bag of flour. Or like a one-pound bag of flour. Or like a three-ounce bag of flour shot from a shotgun. Whatever. But it's going to hit you and it's going to make an impression. It's going to... It'll get you. So it'll be an uh moment, not an aha moment. And in my opinion, the uh moments are a lot more valuable than the aha moments. The aha moments have a tendency to feed false personality, the uh moments have a tendency to knock the wind right out of false personality's sails. So that's the, the, those are the ones I prefer. When I say prefer, I mean that in an intellectual way. I certainly don't prefer them in, ex- in experience, but I prefer them intellectually. I prefer the idea of uh moments rather than aha moments. Marista Cole said some having heard a little better prefer to go to sleep again and either no amount of shaking will make them awaken or they wake up for a time again and then sleep over forty years I can't tell you how many times I've seen this I've seen people awaken a little bit and then go back to sleep again. And truly, no amount of shaking wakes them up. Or they wake up for a little bit, they take a look around, they go, oh yeah, now I remember why I went back to sleep again. And then they go back to sleep again. And who knows? Maybe, I don't know. I've never, a lot. most of those people I never see again. But I've never heard good things about them from other people. I've never heard, you know, like 5 or 10 or 20 years later, I've never heard, oh, well that person, you know, really did well. I've heard that they never really woke up again and that's kind of sad but that's the way it goes and I guess I'm not the first to realize it because Maurice Nicole wrote that probably back in the 40s or 50s and he was right now we must read something from a source of esotericism that many people cannot hear because they have no understanding because their level of being will not let them hear this is This comes from Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 12. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. Remember, anytime you read in the Bible a certain place, you need to be paying attention. That's like an asterisk. A certain place is always talking about a certain place in you. So he's talking about an internal state. He came to an internal state. Okay, I digress. He came to this certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. Now, it sounds like somebody's just narrating this story. Why did he spend the night there? Well, because the sun had set. (laughs) Why do you need to know that? You don't need to know that unless there's a deeper meaning. And in all of this, there's a deeper meaning. Now, the problem is that we've heard so much from stony Christians. You know what stony Christians are? Stony Christians or any stony religion, stony religion is the basest fundamental understanding of any religious idea, any spiritual idea, any esoteric idea is the stone truth. And it's very hard and it's very cold and you can stone people with it, which is one of the big things about it. It's a great weapon. And people love great weapons at that level because they need to crack skulls. Because there are a lot of people who don't agree with them. So then they need to take these stony truths and they need to beat them over the head with it until they break their skulls and then they can pour some little pebbles in there and hopefully, you know, when they shake their head it makes a noise like a rattle and, you know, to stay away from them. But anyway, as I said, I do digress. But it's fun. I have to admit it's fun. It's fun for me if it's not fun for you. So he, the sun set, he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 12. That's the whole thing that I wanted to read to you. Beersheba means literally well of oath or well of seven. You take it any way you want, well of oath or well of seven. You take it as well of oath, You remember back to the story of, well, you won't remember, but some of you might remember back to the story of how it got called the well of Oath or the well of seven, how it got called Beersheba was Abraham, Jacob's father, dug seven wells. He found water in all the wells, but then the wells were stolen from him. And so it was the seventh well that he dug that he was allowed to keep the well and the water. That was called Beersheba, the seventh well, the well of Oath, because he made an oath with the people who were stealing the wells from him that this would be his well and they would not steal it and so he sacrificed seven lambs and so there's this whole seven thing and we know that seven is part of the octave that you have Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si seven and then Do repeats which completes the octave which starts a new octave octave comes from eight and so it's not a septive it's an octave There are actually seven notes and then the eighth note is a repetition of Do at a different frequency so it becomes a new octave So there you have the seven in there. Now you, you know what that's about. The sun had set. What does that mean? A lower level of understanding. You can have higher levels of understanding and lower levels of understanding in a matter of minutes. Have you noticed that? There are moments when you understand something and then the next moment you don't understand it at all. In fact, you forgot what it was that you understood. It's like, what was that? When the sun sets, our understanding goes down. What happens at night? Well, when the sun sets, there's no more light. There's less light. So when there's less light, what happens? Well, when there's less light, you can't see as much. When you can't see as much, you can't understand as much. You can't know as much. You can't understand as much. He puts a stone under his head. Stone being, as I've said before, the lowest level of truth, but it's still the truth. So he puts a stone under his head. So what happens when the sun sets? What happens when our understanding fades? What happens when our light of consciousness fades? Put a stone under your head. Take the most basic truth that you know and put that under your head. In other, in other words, support your, yourself intellectually with that. Well, what happens then? Well, <laughs> you go to sleep. You actually, you're already asleep. You put the stone under your head. The sun had already set. You're basically already out of it. You're already in sleep. It was sleep with the moving center still active. But now he's going to sleep with the, move, with the moving center inactive. But when we're down, when we're out of our understanding, we can't receive help. But when we rest our head on a stone, even if it's a basic, very basic, I am not one, I am many. I am not conscious. I am not awake. A basic truth like that, the basic stony truth. If you will rest your head on that, you will receive help. And how do we know that? Well, that's what this story is telling us. He rests his head on the stone and he has a dream. Now dreams, you know, people don't understand dreams, which is okay. We've lost our um, connection with that part of us. But indigenous people understand dreams and they put a lot of stock in dreams. Modern society, people lose that connection. So they don't put so much stock in dreams and they don't understand them as well. But it wasn't always like that. Let me just share with you another thing. This will come from Job about dreams. It's from Job chapter 33 verses 14 through 18. It says, indeed God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it, okay? So we're asleep, so we don't notice when God speaks, even the dogs hear it. But when we're asleep, we don't hear it. And even if we do hear it, we don't understand it. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from pride. One of the problems that we have is that when we get something in our understanding, it very easily turns to pride. It very easily is usurped by the false personality, by the outer man. And he uses it then to bolster himself, to aggrandize himself, to make himself better, bigger. That's why the Bible says knowledge puffs up. It makes us swell with pride. It puffs us up. And we'll puff our chests up and we'll puff our heads up and we'll puff ourselves up well and we'll talk like we know something. And this is not a good thing. We talk like we know something, it's not a good thing. Because we don't know anything. And what we do know is generally incomplete or wrong. And if it's incomplete, then we should probably keep our mouth shut for the most part. And if it's wrong, then we definitely should keep our mouth shut for the most part. And the only exception to that is if you're in a situation where you can get a good shock from being stupid. In other words, if you can be stupid in a situation where someone more conscious can point out your stupidity, your idiocy, then you have the opportunity to get a good shock, to get a good slap, and that can wake you up, and that can be beneficial. So it's like Will Strunk said, if you don't know how to pronounce a word, say it loud. There's no sense in adding inaudibility to ignorance. So if you're ignorant about something, be loud about it in the right environment. In the wrong environment, don't. But in the right environment, where you could get some knowledge, where you could get something to remove the ignorance, in that environment, be loud about it. Come right out with it. Don't hide it. In other words, don't hide your ignorance in a place where you could get knowledge, where it could be cured, any more than you would hide your broken arm in a hospital where they could set it and put a cast on it and start the healing process. That's what we're talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's what you're listening about. Our capacity to receive esoteric meaning is small. If you know that about yourself, good. If you don't know that about yourself, stick around. The work is stronger than life and life's sleep. But we don't know that. We don't believe that. And we don't see that. And the reason we don't know that, believe that, or see that is because our power of perception of the work is so small that life and sleep seem more powerful because they're overcoming us continually. How many times do you fall asleep in a day? Well, the real question is, how many times can you wake up in a day? That's the real question. I'll tell you how many times you fall asleep in a day. One more than you woke up. That's how many times you fall asleep in a day. I can include myself in that as well, and I will, and I do. Asleep, we can't take in the full meaning of work ideas because we're convex. You know the difference between convex and concave, right? Convex is like, let's say say we have a bowl. Take a nice little rice bowl. And convex, if you take the bowl and you turn it over so that the opening is down, then that's convex. But concave is if you turn it up so the opening is up. One can receive, but the other one sheds. If you pour water on a convex bowl, it will shed the water. If you pour water on a concave bowl, it will hold the water in a sense that's our problem because we're curved outward because our life is curved outward we're looking at all of the stuff that we want in life we're looking out here because that's where our center of gravity is we're curved outward we're like a cup turned upside down but if we turn around turn inward we become concave curved inward we start to focus our attention internally into our internal world then we can receive and retain help ideas from the work that are full of meaning But when we're convex, we can't receive that meaning. It's just we shed it because the false personality isn't interested in it. The outer man isn't interested in internal things. He doesn't care at all about that. All he cares about is how do I get what I want? How can I have more of this? How can I satisfy this desire? How can I have these pleasant sensations? That's what the outer man's interested in. The internal man doesn't care much for the outer man. He's not that interested in the outer man, which is a great source of upset for the outer man because he doesn't want the internal man to have anything over him because he doesn't care about him. And if he doesn't care about him, he won't take care of him the way he wants to be taken care of, the outer man. Because he's so powerful, he fights. Even after hearing something, we find it difficult to retain it because we turn the cup upside down by facing life again. One of the reasons that even when you do get hit with the five-pound bag of flour in the chest you have such a hard time retaining that experience is because you turn back to life. Oh, you stick with it while you've got the wind knocked out of you. But as soon as you can breathe again, you're right back there in life. You're right back going for the gold, going for what you want, headed for the brass ring. You've got your plans, you've got your schemes, you've got your goals. You got this one where you want to be in five years, this how much money you want to make, this is what you want to have, blah, blah, blah. There it is, it's gone. Because when you turned upside down, when you turned to face the outside, you left everything that was internal. Doesn't mean there won't be something left if you can turn back in. But who knows when you'll get to turn back in. It just doesn't happen that often. So this is basically why we need spaced repetition. This podcast number 151. I'm not really saying much that's new. This is old stuff. It's presented a little differently. I try and come at it from different sides. But it's basically the same simple truth and 151 of these podcasts, and 151 of the light podcasts, that's a lot of basic simple truth. It's been nearly three years now that we've been putting these podcasts out there, and yet what it really is is spaced repetition. And it's a little change up here and there so that the spaced repetition also comes at it from a different perspective, a different point of view, because if you throw enough of it against the wall, maybe something will stick. But we have to have it because we turn the cup upside down and face life again so often. Crisis comes between life and the work, and it comes at this point. At this point of crisis, between the life and the work, comes just here, after we've heard something and we fail to retain it because we've turned back to life. We've turned our attention back out there. Where will we draw our meaning? From the work or from life? And as long as we continue to turn back to life for something in life, we are going to get our meaning from life. If we turn inward and get our meaning from the work and allow our meaning from the work, from the internal meaning of the work, to flow outward into life, it will be different. We may still accomplish some of the same things, but we won't be doing it from the same place. And if you're not doing it from the same place, there will be different results. All temptation begins right here. In Luke chapter 4, verses 2 through 7 is an interesting little ditty. For 40 days, being tempted by the devils, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And here it is, exactly what I'm talking about, this crisis situation, this crisis point. The Son of God represents your essential self. Your internal life, your spiritual life, your psychological life. The devil represents your false personality or life, the acquired side of you. It's also your worship of the power of external life. You know how we worship the power of external life? You know how we worship its glory, its spectacle, its drama? We love it. We worship it. If we're full of ourselves, we can't hear the meaning of the work. We have no cup, nothing to receive, the work teaching. We have no room because we're full of self-estimation, self-justification, buffers, attitudes, pictures, vanity, pride. Do I need to go on? Is that enough? It's like, yes, we're full of that. To make room for something else inside of us, the work starts with uncritical, sincere self-observation. Now, that means that we start with critical, insincere introspection, which is just not what the work is about, but it's what we start with, which what people can be counted on to do when they hear about this. They can be counted on to start with critical, insincere introspection, not uncritical, genuine, sincere self-observation. There's a difference. One comes from the outer man, and one comes truly from inside. Slowly, we begin to lose some of our self-sufficiency, making room for something higher, which takes us to another quote, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Many of you know the story of the virgin birth and the the shepherds and the the whole thing and Herod and all that jazz. To make room for something, that's really what we have to do. But you see, in the false personality, in the inn, there's no room for anything. So room has to be made, but no room could be made. So when no room can be made, you take whatever measures you can. So because the essential side of us is very young and very weak, it needs protection. So it's wrapped in clothes and put in a manger for protection and warmth because it needs protection from the outside world because the outside world doesn't understand it, doesn't value it, and will kill it. Once the higher enters us, it first begins unnoticed. It's slow and it's steady transformation of our being. You can be in this work for years and not really notice any difference, but just slow, steady transformation, and it starts to manifest in outer things, little things. You notice that the things that you used to love to be negative about are not so appealing. The times that you used to lash back, react strongly, verbally, begin to become fewer and they are toned down a bit. And then one day you find that you have a choice. You see a reaction ready to, to happen, and you don't go with it. You just smile and walk away. That's the subtle, slow transformation process. Because once the higher enters us, it begins to do the work. The in can then receive strangers. Well, What are strangers? These strange work ideas. Here's a strange work idea. You're not one, you're many. Here's a strange work idea. You are sound asleep. They're strange ideas to us when we first hear them. But we have to make room inside of ourselves, and in, for these strange ideas to come and reside. Once those strange ideas begin to come and reside, then we begin to hear. Then we begin to turn the cup upwards. Then we can begin to receive and retain. It's a slow process. It takes longer than we would like it to take. But it can be done, and you are living proof of that. You're doing it and I'm sure you'd like to do it faster, but it's a slow, steady process of transformation. In the race between the tortoise and the hare, the hare will definitely not win this race. Only the tortoise will win this race. It's a slow, steady process of transformation. It will be done in you, not by you, so that the acquired self can't take the credit for it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great when we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.